Actually, it's got nothing to do with my message, but I'm going to mention it anyway. I was listening to the radio this week, and somebody said this, that more money makes you happy. Do you know happiness is not the goal in life? Joy is. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness disappears. You can be happy one moment, and then you get on the motorway at Takanini, and you're grumpy the next. But joy is a choice. No one can steal your joy. You give your joy away. But joy is what actually we're after. So don't, don't look for highs and lows of emotions, but look for a choice that I'm going to be joyful in all situations. That I'm going to have a smile on my face. That I'm not going to come to church with a, with, a, with a grumpy look on my face, but I'm going to come with a joy in my heart because I know that even though life might be difficult right now, I can hear from God in this moment that will transition and change my life in an instant. And if I come with a heart of gratitude and an attitude of gratitude towards everything in life, I'll tell you things will will change for you without you really having to do anything. How many people know that kids that grumble about doing the dishes at night, it takes them longer to do the dishes than some kid that just gets up and it'll be my pleasure to do those dishes. Yeah? I know, miracles can happen. Hey, we're going to, I want to talk to you this morning. My message is called Send Me. And last week we kind of covered a a prayer that's, a prayer that I pray. I call it an anchor prayer in my life. and, And it was called Search Me, where... We, we base it on Psalm 139 where King David said, Search me, know my heart, God. Know my anxious thoughts. In other words, uh, show me where my fears are. And we understand that where we fear something is where basically is a good thing that we understand what our fears are because what we fear reveals where we trust God the least. Come on. As I said to the youth on Friday night, when the someone... When your faith in someone becomes bigger than the something, then the fear disappears. When the, when the uh, disciples saw Jesus in the boat in the middle of the storm calm the seas, when their faith in someone became bigger than the storm that they were in, fears are allayed. And so our problem is most of the time is we make our something bigger than our someone. Yeah. Sometimes we, we don't need to tell God about our problems. We need to introduce our problems to our God. It's it's just something that we need to do. And so it's really important that we understand what our fears are because that shows us where we trust God the least and then we're able to make a change in our word and get God in the middle of our situations. And then, you know, he goes on and he says, and you know the wickedness of my heart, but you always lead me in a way. It's such a challenging prayer to pray a prayer where God show me where I'm going wrong so that I can go right. And so often our prayers are usually about, God, can you give me this? God, can you give me that? God, can you bless my kids? God, can you can you make sure mum doesn't burn dinner tonight? Um, you know, can you please make sure she says yes when I ask her out? What is wrong with you guys today? Man, you're so serious. They're hungry. You know, we, we pray we pray safe prayers, really, to be honest. We pray a lot of prayers about what we need. And I, I want to talk to you this morning about another prayer that you can pray. But it's a dangerous prayer, and it's a prayer that we don't often pray, and that's a prayer of availability. What if we changed our prayers this week from, God, can you do this for me, to, God, what can I do for you? Maybe if we shifted our prayers around what we could do for him, we might actually see that he'll do things for us as we do things for him. Because the Bible also promises this, that nobody does anything for God or makes any sacrifice that he does not repay. And so I know when I sacrifice something in my own life to do something for him, he will reward me for the sacrifice. It's just the way that God works. And I, I want to talk to you this morning about, you know, about a send me kind of a prayer. 
And when you pray this prayer, um, you know, God could send you in all sorts of different directions. God could reveal to you this week uh, a calling or a gifting or something that he wants you to do that you never ever thought of, you never thought possible that was a possible thing that he could do because God always calls us to do something that he needs done. It even says in the scripture that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works that he's prepared in advance for us. Like God has plans for you that you can do for him. And, and, And so you don't have a boring life because life is boring when you're not helping people. There's nothing better than when you're able to help somebody or do something for somebody. The joy that it brings to your life is a great thing. Why? Because we weren't created to be selfish. We were created to be people that look after one another and care for one another and love one another. There's nothing better on Christmas morning than seeing the smile on your kids' faces as I open the gifts that you've given them, yes? Come on. When I come to Christmas, the kids always say, what do you want? I say, I don't, don't, I don't need anything. It's like on my birthday, I don't need a gift. I just want to go out. Can you please just come out to lunch with me on Sunday and not hang out with your friends just for a, an hour or so? Because I just love being around them and I love doing stuff for them. And the greatest thing that we can do in life is stuff for people. But there is different responses to when God calls us. There are different kinds of uh, responses when God asks us to do something. And the first one that I want to talk to you about is, is in Jonah. And Jonah had this prayer, here I am, I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going. It says this in Jonah 1, it says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up against, come up before me. But, but Jonah, what? Ran away from the Lord. How many people here are honest like me, and you've had plenty of prayers where, God, where you've said, God, here I am, I'm not going. You know those moments where he comes to you and says, Hey, you know that person over there? You know, you're, you're drink, sitting there drinking your coffee, having a great coffee, and uh, you're sitting there and there's somebody else sitting by themselves in the cafe and you, you feel this kind of prompting on the inside of you that says, go and talk to that person. And you're like, here I am, Lord, but I'm not going. Here I am, God, but I'm <laughs> not me. I'm not doing that. I, I think that I am haunted a lot of the time in my own life when I think about moments where I know that God has prompted me at times to do something or say something and I didn't do it. Times where I've walked through the supermarket and and people have been coming towards me and, and I, I just sense God wants me to say something and, and the only thing that I do is smile at them as I walk past because there's this fear that holds you back from saying something and it's, and it's the whole prayer of Jonah of here I am but I'm not going. Here I am, I want you to use me God but I'm not going to go and do that. And if there's one thing that I know that I can guarantee you if you're a follower of Jesus there's going to be times where he prompts you to do something, to say something. He's going to ask you to go and talk to that person or help that person with their need or, or do whatever it is or maybe ask you to serve somewhere or do something for him. And I know in my own life, and I know it will be true in your life too, there's been plenty of times where I've said, here I am, but I'm not going. The other prayer that sometimes I've prayed, and I'm sure you have too, is, Moses' prayer, here I am, but send someone else. Here I am, but send someone else. It says this in Exodus. So now go, this is God talking to him, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And the story goes on, he says, why don't you send my brother Aaron instead? 
that whole prayer of here I am God but send someone else because I'm not good enough and they're better than me and they've got more time to do things because they don't have any kids so they have exposable, available time. How many people know that? And, uh, and so you can send them, but here I am, but send somebody else. I can't do that. I can't run a connect group. I couldn't get up and say something to somebody. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. It's, I'm here. I, I want you to use me, but, but send someone else. And the crazy thing about what God was asking Moses to do is Moses actually agreed that this needed to happen. Moses was in agreement that the children of Israel needed to be set free from the Egyptians. They needed to be delivered from them. And, and he had already tried to do this previously and got it wrong. And now God's coming and saying, hey, man, now the timing's right. You're the right guy for this. And he's like, here I am, God, but, but send somebody else. And I know that in my life, and I'm sure it is in your life too, it's so easy to say, hey, I, I can't do that. They're better than that at mine. This isn't what I'm supposed to do. Here I am, God, but send someone else. And if we're really honest with ourselves, those two prayers are prayers that we pray a lot. But I want to introduce to you a prayer that you can pray that's completely different to those. And it's Isaiah's prayer of, Here I am, send me. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. The great thing about this prayer that Isaiah prayed is what he didn't say. He didn't say, here I am, where are you sending me? He didn't say, here I am, is the climate nice where I'm going? He didn't say, here I am, what's the cost of living there? Or here I am, what are the benefits he didn't have any agenda to his here I am prayer. He basically signed a blank contract with God that said, here I am, send me. I'm willing to go wherever you send me. It's not about where I go, it's about whether I'm sent. And I, and I want to challenge you this week. I want to dare you, I want to motivate you to pray a prayer that says, here I am, God, I'm, I'm available. In other words, you have permission to interrupt my life. You have permission to interrupt me, to, to get up in my face. God, I want... If you want me to say something to somebody, I'll say it. If you want me to pray for somebody, I'll pray for them. If you want me to meet a need, I'll meet it. If there's something that you want me to do, God, here I am, send me. Without any agenda, without any, any prerequisites, without anything else, it's just like, here I am. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. But how, how do you get to the place where you can pray that kind of prayer? Because that's not an easy prayer to pray, am I right? Am I right? Or do you guys find this all really easy? Because I don't. I don't find it easy at all. I don't find it easy to pray a prayer that says, here I am, send me. I don't find it easy to, to walk up to a stranger and start talking to them. I don't find that sort of thing really, really easy. So how do you, how do you get to this place like Isaiah where, where, where you don't care where it is that you go, you don't care what the cost is that happens, you don't care whether there's benefits or no benefits, you just have this attitude towards God as like, here I am, just send me. I'll go anywhere. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I have to surrender. How do you, how do you get to this place where you can surrender your whole life to such a degree like that with such great confidence? Well, the answer to all of that is found in the verses preceding his prayer. And the first thing that 
you have to have if you're going to be somebody that can pray that kind of prayer is that you need a genuine experience with the presence of God. You need a genuine experience with the presence of God. In Isaiah 6.1 it says, In the year that King Azusa died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. In other words, Isaiah is saying here, I saw God's presence. I, I saw his majesty. I saw his glory. I saw the magnificence of who he was. I saw the greatness of our God. I saw just, it was just marvelous. It was unbelievable. I just saw this incredible thing of God's presence. And as I saw it and as I experienced it, it completely transformed me. Nothing transforms you more than being in God's presence. That's why church is so important on a Sunday morning for you to be. Not because going to church makes you a Christian, but coming here enables you to get together as family and experience His presence. There's something powerful that happens when we come together. When the disciples were together in the upper room waiting on God, He turned up in all of His power and all of His presence. And we call it the day of Pentecost where He came and He touched them and Peter stood up after that encounter in the marketplace on that day and preached the gospel and saw 3,000 people give their lives to Christ. And one day, all because of an encounter with God's presence, Peter, who denied Christ, stood up and proclaimed Christ. And you might be asking today, is like, why, 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 is it, why is it maybe that you're not that available to God? Why is it if you want to be, but you're not that available to God? Why is that? Perhaps it's because you haven't recently experienced the presence of God. Perhaps the reason is because you just haven't really pushed in like you used to. You haven't really reading your word like you used to. You're not praying like you used to. And when I say praying, I'm not talking about giving him requests. I'm talking about having a, just having a conversation. Prayer is not where you... Prayer at times, there are different types of prayer, and there are times where, you, where you've got to get yourself away and intercede for people and pray on their behalf and pray about situations. But, but the prayer that I'm talking about, which is an intimate relationship with Father, is not a prayer of request, but it's a, it's a conversation. It's a, it's, I don't come home from work and, and come in the door and walk up to my wife and go, okay, this is what I want for dinner, and then after dinner, um, if you could get the dishes done, and, um, and my feet are a bit sore, so a foot rub would be great. And, uh, you know, the kids are driving me a bit nuts, so if you could look after I don't come home with requests for her. Because if the only time I ever communicated to her was when I wanted something from her, how many people know that I wouldn't be selling 20, celebrating 25 years of marriage this year? Yeah? Come on. But then we do that with God and we expect God to have this wonderful relationship with us when our only time we ever talk to him is when we want something. Yet we can stand up here and I can stand up here and joke with you is that when your kids come up to you and they hardly talk to you as teenagers because they hide away in their bedroom for some, for some reason there's a fear of them being in the lounge. It's like girls, teenage girls have a fear of going to the toilet so they always take someone with them. I've never been in a girl's toilet, so I don't know what's so scary in there, but guys' ones are safe. But we'll stand up and we joke about the kids and how the only time they come out of their room and come to talk to you is 
and they come up to you and say, hey, Dad, love you so much, and your first response is, what do you want? Because you know they usually want $20 to go to the movies or something. And we laugh about it, we joke about it, but the reality is if your kids only ever spoke to you when you wanted something, you wouldn't have a great relationship with them. So why do we do that with him? Why do we say to him, you need to be available to me? Why don't we change the script this week and say, actually, I'm available to you? And it starts with having an experience of his presence. And if you're not having an experience of his presence, then maybe you just haven't sought him in a while like you meant to. Because when you experience his presence, you will be transformed. You will be transformed. First thing we need if we're going to pray a prayer like this is a genuine experience of the presence of God. And the second thing is a genuine awareness of your sinfulness. It says here in Isaiah 6, 5, it says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I'm living among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. In other words, he's saying, as I saw the glory of God, as I saw the majesty of God, as I saw Him in that moment, I recognized immediately my sinfulness. I recognized immediately my unrighteousness. I was aware of my sinfulness. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to make really, really clear to you. God does not make you aware of your sinfulness to feel guilty about. God makes you aware of your sinfulness to ask Him to forgive you of. He's not, he's not, he didn't come to, to Cain and says, He knew where Abel was. He knew that Cain had murdered Abel. He didn't come to Cain because he didn't know where Abel was. He came to Cain and says, where is your brother? Not because he didn't know where Abel was, but because he was giving Cain an opportunity to confess. Because God knows something that we forget, that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he's coming to Cain and he's saying, where is your brother? In other words, if you confess, I can forgive you. But if you don't confess, then I have to punish you. But I don't want to do that. But I'm giving you an opportunity. And so when he makes us aware of our sinfulness, it's not because he wants you to feel guilty. It's not because he wants you to feel bad. It's because he wants a trigger to go on your head again. Oh, I just need to confess that. He'll forgive me of it and I can move on in life. It's not for you to wallow in. It's not for you to, because there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But when I'm aware of my sinfulness, it shouldn't be a a sad moment. It should be an exciting moment because, man, I've got some sin in my life. But here's the cool thing. If I confess this, he's faithful and just to forgive me of it. I don't have to live with this anymore. And that's why I'm not going to dwell on this for too long because I don't want you to dwell on your sinfulness because the third thing, if you're going to pray a prayer like this, that you have to understand about is that you have to have a genuine understanding of God's grace. And that's the biggest problem with most Christians. As we dwell, we, we, we come into his presence, we're aware of our sin, and then we wallow in our sin, not understanding his grace. And it says in verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew, that's an angel, to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with, with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So what happened? Well, well, he saw the presence of God. He understood his sinful position. He understood that he was someone of unclean lips. He understood where he was at. And then with one touch of the goodness of God, 
One touch of God's goodness and his sins were forgiven and completely atoned for. He says to him, your lying lips are forgiven. Your, your self, self-centered thoughts are forgiven. Your angerous outbursts are forgiven. Every secret sin, God knows all about them. But here's the great thing, that he has forgiven them as if they never happened if you would let him. He will forgive you of it as if it never happened. God, the Bible says, separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And the east keeps going and the west keeps going and they never join together. He's not saying that there's a, there's a measurable distance how far I throw your sins. He says, I throw your sins so far away from me that I can never ever get them back again. In fact, he says this, that he throws them into the sea of, unf- uh, of forgetfulness. In other words, he throws them into the sea and forgets them as if they never happened. And it's you and I that go fishing into that lake and we bring up our sins again. Oh, sorry, God, I shouldn't have done that last week. And he's the one up there going, what are you talking about? I don't understand what you're saying because, because I don't see that sin around you anymore. And you need to understand something, that in the Old Testament when the lamb was brought to the priest, the priest would check the lamb to make sure the lamb was all okay so that they could sacrifice the lamb for the sins of the family. You have to understand something. They didn't look at the family's sin. They looked at the sacrifice. They looked at the quality, the pureness of the lamb. And for us, New Testament Christians, you need to understand something, that when God looks, he sees the lamb, not your sinfulness. He sees Jesus. And he looks and he can't see it because you've confessed it. And it's you that brings it back up. It's not him. It's the enemy that you're allowed to get into your head that brings it back up in the same way that the coal touched his lips and removed all of his guilt is the same way that Jesus' blood washes us, the Bible says, like snow, and cleanses us from all of our sin. You have to have an encounter with his presence. You have to understand that, yeah, i got sin in my life, but the great news is, friend, is that the grace of God is there for you to forgive you of everything and anything. Because when we recognize that we don't bring anything, and God brings everything, We don't bring anything into this relationship. He brings everything. God has done everything for us. When we experience this unmatched, undeserved grace of God through Jesus Christ, then, friend, your only reasonable response is, here I am, send me. The only reasonable response that we we can have when when we understand what God has saved us from is not, here I am, I'm not going. It's not here I am, choose someone else. It's here I am, send me. Because I, I, I am just so overwhelmed by your, by your love and your grace and your mercy towards me. This is not a, this is not a prayer of, ah, oh, darn it. Because God did all that. I have to do this. I have to pray this prayer. That's not that kind of prayer. This is the kind of thing when you understand what he has done for you, when you are overwhelmed by his grace, when you understand what his grace is about, It's not I have to, it's I get to. I get to be part of this. I get to help other people have the same experience. I get to help my family and my friends and my love and my workplace colleagues and kids at school that are so bound up by sin and they're so bound up by guilt. I I can help them have the same experience 
with the presence of God where the grace and the goodness and the mercy and the forgiveness comes and washes it all away so that they don't have to worry about it anymore. They don't have to dwell in it, wallow in it, but they can be set free from it. Oh man, I'm so glad that he set me free. If only, if only I could help others get free too. And that's what he's saying. Here I am, send me. You, you have helped me. You have, you have touched my coal with lips and, and I, I know I was sinful, but now I'm set free from this bondage oh man send me let me go for you let me be your hands let me be your feet i get to serve i get to have the day that the lord has made i get to use the gifts that he has given me and he and he's put me in this moment of history because i'm the right person at the right time in the right place and nobody else can do what he has asked me to do and nobody else can do what he's asked you to do I can't reach your family, only you can. You can't reach my family, only I can. I can't reach your workmates for Jesus, just like you can't reach mine. And I'm working really hard in the office to get Andrea Baker and Anna and my daughter and Lizzie to just give their lives to Jesus. That was a joke. It was so serious this morning. You see, here's the thing. He will, when you pray this prayer, always bring somebody across your path. Always. In fact, without you even praying this prayer, he brings people across your path. God is always bringing people across our paths that need encouragement. How hard is it just to give someone a word of encouragement? How hard is it to just say something nice to somebody? Encourage them. He's going to bring people across your path that have needs. And you know what God has given? He's not going to bring people across your path that you can't help. That's just torture. But he will bring people across your path that you can help. You have what they need. You can help them. The Bible says this, that each and every one of us has been given a measure of faith. In other words, he's given you everything that you need to do the things that he's asked you to do. You just have to step out and do it. He's going to bring people across your path that need encouragement or people that have needs that you can meet. If we would just have the courage, if we would just have the courage to release it and trust God to use it, he can use you to meet all sorts of people. And this is the whole thing is that I, I, I get to serve God because he served me. I get to serve him because he served me. I get to love others because he loved me. Through Jesus, I get to give him everything that I have because he's given everything that he has. The problem with all of this, of course, is that it's got to be a daily decision. You can't pray this prayer once and then do it again in a year's time because if we don't realign ourselves on a daily basis with a grateful heart for what he has done, we won't do stuff for him. It's a daily decision, and the reason why it's daily is because when you called Jesus your Savior and asked him to transform you, your spirit came to life. And from that moment on, there's a war that goes on on the inside of you. There's a war that happens in the side of you. Why? Because there's a flesh side of you. There's this side of you that wants what it wants, yes? It wants what it wants. It, it loves the Nike saying, just do it. In other words, if you want it, just do it. We live in a world that just caters to its fleshly wants all the time. 
Well, that's my personal preference. So to hell with everybody else and who it hurts, that's my personal preference. I mean, it's gone to such an extreme that a, that a man in Sweden just recently, his argument for getting off a case of pedophilia was to say that, well, children are my sexual preference, so for you to prosecute me would be against my human rights because that's my preference. My preference is to take a shotgun and blow his brains out, but I'm not allowed to do that. It's called murder. You can't just do whatever you feel. It's not how life works. And we have this flesh side of us that just wants what it wants, and it wars against what God wants. It wars against what the Spirit of God wants, and your flesh is at war with your spirit constantly, and that's why this has to be a daily decision. Because I'm telling you now, in my life, if I don't make this a daily decision, my flesh will go, here I am, I'm not going. Or here I am, send someone else. And I'll quite, my flesh will quite happily take me through a whole year without even reaching out to anybody because it doesn't want to. But my spirit does. And so it has to be a daily decision. So how do we learn to choose daily to die to our flesh so our spirit could live? It's really, really easy. And you've probably heard this before. But whatever you feed lives, and whatever you don't feed dies. And so we have to learn, and this is why fasting is so important, because if we feed our flesh all the time with give me, give me, give me, give me, it's about me, 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 which we hate in our children when it happens, but we don't mind in ourselves. I'm not going to do that. My life is too important. I'm too big to do that kind of thing now. As a pastor, I hope I never ever get to the place where I'm not prepared to pick up a, and, and vacuum after a Sunday service. If I ever get to that place where I think I'm too big to do that, please come and slap me and remind me that I'm not special. I'm just doing what he's asked me to do. I'm not going to do that. My life is too important. I don't have time to make a difference. Somebody else can do that. I love Jesus and everything. But and, and I know I'm going to heaven, but I'm not going to do anything about it. I love Jesus. I've asked him to forgive me. I'm going to heaven. I'm all good now, but I'm not going to do anything for him. I'm not going to be Jesus with flesh on. You know what that is? It's called feeding the flesh. But instead, if you deny your flesh, you deny your wants and feed your spirit, if you get in the presence of God, if you start seeking him, if you get back into his word, if you start to use your spiritual gifts and start to serve in a team or get into a connect group or do something with what God has given you, if you start to become the church, not be in church, because this is building is not the church, you're the church, the church is made up of people, and if, and if we would just become the church and be the church, then our spirit is growing and our flesh is dying and the closer we get to God, you'll start to recognize him and you'll start to hear him. And Paul said this in Galatians 2.20, says, I am crucified with Christ, but nonetheless I live. It is no longer I who lives now, it is Christ who lives in me. And when, when we, we grow, when we experience this presence of God, when we're aware of our own sinfulness, but we are so much more aware of his grace, then, and, and all of a sudden when that happens, we understand that, man, I may have been crucified with Christ. My sin may have died with him, but, 
but I don't have to live in the flesh anymore, but I can live in the Spirit of God and in relationship with Him. And it's no longer I that lives, but it's Christ that's living out of me and my words and my actions and how I treat my wife and my children and my husband and my friends and my neighbors. It's all Jesus. It's all Him. Why? Because I've had an encounter with His presence. I've been honest about where I'm at, but I know that He's forgiven me. And now, because I understand what He has done for me, how can I not do something for Him? Here I am, God. Send me. Here's the thing. Is that He's more likely, it is more likely that He's going to call you to serve the people that are right in front of you. So often I have people come to me, what's God's will for my life? Whatever's right in front of your face. The people that you're around, the environments that you're in, whatever's right in front of you. He wants you to be faithful where he's already placed you. Because if you're not faithful where you are now, you'll never be faithful where you want to be. A lot of times God will call you to stop and to listen to someone who's hurting. A lot of times he'll call you to just reach out and give something to someone who's in need. And some of these things sometimes you're going to think to yourself, it's like this one time when, when I was going through the supermarket checkout counter. It seems to always happen for me at supermarkets. I don't know why. But I'm going through, and this, this woman just didn't seem very happy and, and um, she said hello as they normally do you know hello bloop, bloop, bloop. and you kind of stand there if you're like me and watch the amount of dollars go up and up and up and think to yourself what's happened to the price of food these days and I'm standing there and I feel like God says to me just just tell her she's doing a great job I'm like I don't know if she's doing a great job. For all I know, she might be doing a rubbish job. And in that moment of thinking she's doing a rubbish job, she had to scan something back through it because she double scanned it. So she's not doing a good job. She just about ripped me off with two lots of tissues when I only had one. And then I started thinking to myself, it's her boss's job to tell her that she's doing a good job. Not my job to tell her she's doing a good job. She's made one mistake already. She looks as grumpy as anything. It's not a good job. But maybe it's just smiling, telling me how good-looking I was. I'll tell her she's doing a good job. I'm not telling her she's doing a good job. She's not doing a good job. I just felt the Holy Spirit just keep on my case. God just kept on my case going, you make mistakes. In your job, it's hard to believe. Sometimes you're grumpy, and I know sometimes I'm grumpy at work because the staff tell me. They're very good at that. That's what happens when you have all females. They have no problem telling the male when he's grumpy. Oh, you guys are hard work this morning. And then, you know, I gave up after a while because if if I know anything about God, Holy Spirit, when you pray prayers like, here I am, send me, he tends to just keep doing this at you until you do what he says, yeah? And and so I just said, you're doing a great job today. And she goes, 
thank you. You said, whoop, that's all right. I thought she would have stopped. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate it. <laughs> so you, can, you can have your groceries free today. <laughs> and then as I'm walking out into the car park and I'm, I'm saying to God, what was that all about? That was such a little stupid thing to do. She didn't even appreciate it. That was so little. What the, you know, I'm moaning and groaning and carrying on. And, and then, you know, and then I realized something. What he asked me to do wasn't really that big a thing. But to her, I don't know, but to her it might have been a huge thing. She might have been going through hell that day. Maybe she had hell at home before she got there. Maybe all sorts of things. Maybe she got in trouble last week for something. But in that moment, in that time, what was not a hard thing to do, just a little thing to do, to say, hey, you're doing a great job. That little thing may seem insignificant, but God's always about the little, isn't he? If you can be faithful in the small things, God will give you much. God's, if you have faith of a mustard seed, little seed, you can tell this. God's all about the little. Little is never, ever insignificant. And as soon as I started to think little things are always big things in God's kingdom, I remember this verse as well. What you do for the least of these, you've done for me. And so when I stop looking at the person and I start seeing Jesus, then I have no problem saying, you're doing a good job today. When I stop looking at the punk student at school who's got a smart mouth on him, but I see Jesus, I can compliment that kid and tell them they're a great kid. When I see the homeless, when I understand that that's Jesus, I don't see the stench but I see Jesus, then I can help them. You see, the problem is, is that when we understand what he has done for us and what he wants to do for everybody, then we don't see people, we see Jesus. And then we can pray a prayer that says, here am I, send me, because what may be small to you is big when it comes to the kingdom. And I want to encourage you this week that you become somebody, I don't know, maybe, maybe you've not experienced the presence of God in a long, long time. I want to encourage you, man, go for it this week. What have you got to lose? What is the worst thing that could happen this week if you pressed in and started to seek God? What is the worst thing that could happen? Because insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. The other thing I want you to do this week is if you're wallowing in the sinfulness of your life or the mistakes that you've made, can you please, if you haven't already, confess your sins so they can forgive you, but if you have already, can you please start forgetting them like he has? Can you please let go of them like he has? Can you please turn around and say, my, my mistakes don't define me, my future decisions do? That what I have done is not who I am, but I'm a child of God? And I am who he says I am, not what my past has said I am. Because the reason why the enemy always reminds you of your past is because he has no future. Come on. But you have a future. Oh, I don't know what the future looks like. Yes, you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, the future looks like heaven. And even if you go through hell on earth, you know where you're going. You're going to a place where there's no sorrow. You're going to a place where there's no pain. You're going to a place where there's no sickness. You're going to a place where there's no mortgage. You're going to a place 
where you're going to live for eternity in the presence of God. And in His presence, you're transformed. But I say, why wait till we get there before a transformation takes place? How about we transform here so we can pray another prayer that says, as it is in heaven, let it be here on earth. Because when you come to a place where you experience His presence and you understand your sinfulness, but you confess that because you understand His grace, then you just can't help yourself but go and share that everywhere that you go. Because you know, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And what matters in eternity is not how many dollars I have in the bank account, but how many souls we're seeing come into the kingdom. And what we do for the least of these, we're doing it for Jesus. Not for you, not for the church, not for me, but we do it for Jesus. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? Ah, just invite you to close your eyes. It's still easy for me to get up here and say this. It's still easy to get up and say, hey, I encourage you. I challenge you to pray a prayer that says, here I am, send me. Here I am, God. I'm yours anywhere, anytime. It's easy to say that. I get that. But to live a life where we're able to say, God, here I am, send me. The first thing we've got to do is say, here I am, forgive me. And I don't know everybody in this building today, but if you're within the sound of my voice, I want you to know that God does not point out sin because he wants to bully you. God does not point out sin because he wants you to wallow it or feel guilty about it. He points it out so that you can confess it and get rid of it. And he is here this morning and he wants to transform your life in one very quick moment by you praying a prayer that just says, Father, forgive me. And you know what? All that stuff that you've been carrying around would just be completely forgiven in that moment because he's faithful to forgive us. Maybe you have been away from him for a long, long time and you know that you're not really walking with him. I thought Pete put it so well this morning in the prayer meeting. He said, well, you might be here, but are you available? <laughs> Here's the thing. He wants to forgive that too because he doesn't want to hold anything against anybody. He wants to set people free. He loves you. He is for you and not against you. And so if you're here this morning, I mean, I want, I want to know that kind of God. I want to know the kind of God that forgives me of my sin. I want to know the kind of God that wants it. To, I don't want to live with this any longer. If you're here this morning when nobody's looking around, every eye is closed and Christians are praying. If you're here this morning and you want to give your life to God or you want to get back on right with him, and I just ask you to put your hand up. And when I see it, I'll ask you to put it down. Is there anybody here this morning that wants to do that? you just got to put your hand up, and we'll ask you to put it down. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Is there anybody else this morning? Anybody else? Thank you. Of course. We're going to pray. Thank you. You can put your hand down. We're going to pray a prayer this morning all together. Just a really quick, simple one, but it will transform your life. I'd love it if you prayed after me as I prayed. So let's do that this morning, every single person in this place. But if you put your hand up, you really pray it like you mean it. Dear Jesus, I ask you 
to forgive me of my sin. I confess it to you this morning. And I thank you for your forgiveness. Completely remove it. All the sin and stuff out of my life and break off my attachment to it. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've forgiven me. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.